So on with the show, Ravi. Um, importance of behavioral analytics. Before that, we always talk about brand search because that's my thing. Bill's thing was patents. He read them. He understood them. I read them and fell asleep. And I'm so glad he read all those patents and summarized and explained them so that people like me could understand them. Um, this is my thing. It's brand search. So I thought we would use the brand search from Bing uh, for Raviada. And you get there right at the top, your Microsoft advertising blog profile. Yep. And a little, there's a little um, light bulb with information about the website. I found that really interesting because it's more information than we get with Google for the, a similar kind of um, idea. So Bing have really gone gone to town with the idea of showing information, where they're getting the information, uh, and and you know, what they're doing with it. Is that a fair assessment? Obviously, you're not from Bing, but... Yeah, definitely. I had worked in Bing in the past, and Bing is always about making your search experience as quick and easy as possible, trying to t uh, save you time as much as possible, so gleam information as quickly as possible. Right. Yeah, and, and it is the thing. I was um, uh, Nima uh, uh, yeah, to the solution to their problem as efficiently as possible, and part of that is informing them along the way, which is a really great way of, of doing things. And then I also um, looked myself up um, out of curiosity to see what what, what came up, um, and that's actually really good. Bing wow. does an incredibly good job of a knowledge panel. Um, you know, you, you you show the sources, you show the um, a lot of the information, uh, more information than I'm getting on on Google. I'm struggling with Google for that. And on the left hand side, amazing rich silence and loads of information from my site. With that idea, if you're searching my name, then you're researching me, and you give masses of information. I mean, there's pretty much no need to visit my site here, <laughs> which is kind of a pity, but also you know. Maybe that's where we're going with the mini website on Bing and on Google that we're going to need to learn to manage and control as best we can. That's where I think we're going, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about behavioral analytics. Can you describe to me really simply what it is? Sure. So behavioral analytics is all about trying to understand the user behavior on your website or product, right? Right now, we tend to look at a lot of quantitative metrics um, traffic anal analytics, and we know, you know, we have this many users coming to your site, maybe they made this many clicks, but we don't really know, are those good clicks? Why are they coming to those pages? Why are they navigating across those pages? Are they finding the right pages on your site? So user behavioral analytics or behavioral analytics is about understanding the user, having some empathy towards the user, walking in the user's digital shoes in a sense, and then really understanding w what the user is trying to do when they come to your product. Yeah, I mean, because when we build a site or a product, we tend to put our own kind of ideas into it. We think, well, this is what I would do. Yep. And that's really rubbish because what I would do is probably not what 90% of other people would do. Um, and the other problem, of course, is you're trying to find a balance between all of these different people who all have different personalities and different reactions. Um, and so you need to do it at scale, and that's what you guys are doing at Clarity. Yep, exactly. Um, because you know you might be a small blogger or a small website, and your whole goal is to grow, right? So as you grow, Clarity is there to help you uh, understand the users, right? And you might have a hundred users, so you can quickly understand those users. Or once you get to let's say a million users, maybe you're going to sample some of those users and see what's going on. But how do you know which way to sample and which users are the ones you need to look at? Again, 
using some of the techniques we have built in Clarity to find frustrating sessions or areas that you know you should look at can help you kind of understand which sessions will guide you to improve your site. Right. Can you remind me to come back to the sampling question later on? Because I wanted to go through kind of some of the, the things. Number one is clarity is kind of the same thing as mouse flow and um, what's the other one called? Hotjar. Is that yep. fair? Yep, yep. Uh, I would say it's a very similar product, yeah. But it's free. Yep, completely free. Any, any size of site. Any size of site. Um. <laughs> Giving it away. And, yeah. and from from your perspective, what's the what's the aim of Microsoft in, in giving this away? Sure, there's two reasons. Uh, one is that when we first built Clarity, it was actually for internal use. Right. We we wanted to really understand how Bing users were using Bing, so we looked at that uh, and saw how powerful it was for helping us understand Bing users. And we decided, right. man, this should be available for everybody. Um, so to to really do that and really to show that it's available for everyone, one, we open source the code. So you can go to GitHub, look at right. all of the code for Clarity. So once you open source the code, there's no point in charging, right? <laughs> and then, then the second is that um, the way it will help Microsoft is understanding the overall aggregate behavior of users on various sites and what sites are important will help search engine products like Bing. Right. Okay. And and you mentioned Bing. I mean, kind of, uh, I've I've talked to people about it, and they're they're kind of saying, you know, oh, I've got this massive site with, you know, two hundred thousand page views a day, or whatever. And you would this this runs on Bing too, and that's a gazillion, billion, trillion, million page views a day. How many? Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Darn, I thought I'd get that out of you. But I mean, if if you're doing Bing, then obviously there's no real problem yeah. with a tiny site that does two hundred thousand yeah. pages exactly. a day. Exactly. Right, and and from your perspective, kind of it, it's it's uh, pushing through on on. I mean, Google have got Google Analytics, which give, gives them a lot of data, on-site data. And this is a great way for you guys to get on-site data to understand what happens after people click through to the website from Bing. Yep. Yep. Right. So very smart of you. <laughs> yes. Um, and and you, you told me a really interesting story about how it helped with Bing. With uh, was it a purple? Yeah, to an ad? purple ads. Uh, we call it the purple ad story. Uh, <laughs> one one day, you know, one of our developers was browsing through Reddit, and he happened to see a post on the R Bing channel um, talking about how a user said, "Hey, I'm getting purple ads. Is is other people getting purple ads? Basically, the background of all the ads were purple." And right. as you can imagine, that probably doesn't drive much clicks because you can clearly see what are ads and what are not ads. Um, so we kind of used Clarity to investigate what was happening. So we looked at session replays or session recordings of uh, where the ads were purple and found out um, there was a little um, shield symbol next to all of the blue links that we have on, on, on the Bing's results page. And that's not something that's provided by Bing. But in fact, that is the little shield icon that came from an uh, antivirus software where if you install it, it does like scanning for links to check check for malware and so forth. Right. And it puts a little shield to say, yep, this is a safe link to go to. Um, but as part of that antivirus software, it also has a pop-up uh, blocker type situation. And most sites actually try to you know go around pop-up blockers because that's right. how you make money uh, for your ads. Um, uh, sorry, it wasn't a pop-up blocker, it was actually ad blocker. So right. it was trying to block off the ads on Bing and um, and when you try to 
still show ads even when there's a blocker, it messes up with the CSS and changes it to be purple. Mm. Okay. So it was a quick fix, uh, figured out, you know, worked with the antivirus agency, uh, software agency and got, was able to resolve it very quickly. And it became one of our like famous stories inside the company, like purple ads. (laughs) And, and, and that's kind of the, the, the whole thing. And it's not just the technical stuff like that, but also with user experience. What, once you've understood what the actual kind of problem is, the fix is usually quite click quick exactly. and one thing i did is i installed uh, clarity on my website just before we were talking uh, on the conference and it took me literally 25 seconds i think it was to, to install the whole thing going through google tag manager sorry um but really really quick easy to install hooked up google analytics and all of a sudden i've got all this data coming in for free and i was i was stunned and then i started kind of looking at the data and the first thing i realized was people weren't clicking on my buttons I needed to add a call to action and I wasn't doing it properly and I changed it and that all changed. Um, so immediately, just from a few visits, I got that kind of feedback. And then I started looking at all the words you use, you dead clicks, quick backs, rage clicks, excessive scrolling, average fold, and, re- and, and then you've got all, obviously all these recordings. Now, yep. dead clicks, what are they? So dead clicks are when a user clicks on a particular region, could be a link, could be an image, and they might be expecting it to do something, but it doesn't do anything. So that's what we call dead links, or they're not leading anywhere, they're dead ends in a sense. Um, and it's surprising when you uh, design a website, you think, okay, you know, this is clearly an image. You don't mm. expect anyone to click it, but sometimes it might look like a button and they mm. go ahead and click it. And then they get frustrated saying, is the website broken? Um, I guess it doesn't do anything. Maybe this product is not that good because clearly the website doesn't work well, right? right? So, yeah, and and then they get into the rage click, which is somebody <laughs> clicking like mad on a button and yes. getting. Yes, exactly, and I think most of us has felt that on some website or another, right? You try to submit a form and it doesn't do anything, or it's taking a while, so you assume it's not doing anything. So mm. you click, 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 um, and nothing happens. Um, and that's where we want to like reduce those kinds of frustrations on users uh, for users on your site. So we try to yeah. detect those as rage clicks. Yeah, I mean, it is that kind of thing. It's clicking on a form, then it's really slow to reload. We've all been there. Um, yeah. And, you know, yeah, losing losing the client. And then the quick backs are basically um, bounces. Yeah, jumping back really quick from one page to another. Because, again, it's kind of like what you said earlier. <laughs> I see dead clicks, says Anton. That's awesome. Um, yeah, quick backs, are you, you're trying to – you might click on a link expecting it to go somewhere, but it doesn't meet your expectations. So you might come back. And those are also good things to know because you might tell the customer see more, but maybe the see more wasn't about what they expected it to be about. Right. So it's also quick backs within the site. Yep. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. So, but of course, I mean, it's not actually just bounces at all. So that was a, I was completely misunderstanding. Thank you. Um, and excessive scrolling. I mean, for me, the idea is let's see how far down the page we can get and we've got to get, get them engaged. And excessive scrolling for you is going too fast, too far, or going up and down? Going up and down too much. Um, usually that's a sign of that you're not finding what you're looking for on the page, right? Maybe there's a contact now button and looking for it and you're like wait is it bottom usually it's at the bottom let me go down okay it's not there let me go back up top where is it and maybe it's hidden away on another page or something right okay and and the 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 other thing i saw was average fold which i'd never thought about 
Mm-hmm. Because I just think above the fold and below the fold, I look at my computer and I think that's above the fold because I can see it like that, which is yeah. once again that really idiotic idea that what I do and what I see and how I act is how everybody else is going to do it. Um, and the average fold I saw was actually much higher than I thought it was. Yep, yep. Um, higher as in it's probably higher up on your screen, right? Because yeah. a lot of your users probably you know don't have uh, the biggest monitors or widescreen monitors that like developers or techies tend to have, right? And also something that we found as an interesting learning is that we usually, you know, a lot of us browse with our whole browser window fully open, right? right? But not everyone maximizes their window. Sometimes they have it small, they have a small pop-up where they're doing research and Mm -hmm. navigating to sites. So it's it's really important to cater to all different screen sizes. So above the, uh, or average fold is trying to detect an average, across all your users where the average cutoff point of your content on page load is. So we found many of our customers that just moving some of their call to actions to make sure they're visible above the average fold leads to a huge amount of conversions for them. Well, that, that, that's brilliant because I never really thought about the idea that people don't maximize the windows. But then, of course, I do that all the time. I have something in the corner that isn't maximized. And then for mobile, of course, it's the different screen yep. sizes. And then you don't need to worry about analyzing all the different screen sizes because you've got the average fold. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God, that makes things incredibly easy. How lovely. And the the one thing that somebody talked to me about was that they were concerned about watching the recordings. Because we've got these screen recordings, and you think, well, I'll watch what somebody did. But then you're watching one person out of 100,000. Yeah, yeah. What's the point in that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a good, that's a good uh, question. I would say it's not about that one. How did you get to that one session is what's also important. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's what we're trying to do with some of the metrics and clarities. And when we have, when you load up the dashboard, right, we have a, a metric as we talked about rage clicks and you can jump into those rage click sessions. Now, mm-hmm. if you watch 20 of those rage click sessions, you'll get a good understanding of where are these um, frustrating pay, uh, sessions happening. Maybe all those 20 are on one particular page or they're across various pages on your site. So those 20 could help you understand what's going on. Or let's say you're running an experiment, maybe an A-B experiment, and you want to see for a particular treatment you're doing, what happened in those sessions. Or you saw some users not being able to complete uh, uh, your signup flow, right? You can watch one or two of these sessions to understand what's happening there. So Mm -hmm. end of the day, um, it gives you a lot of qualitative data watching these sessions and gives you kind of like the true user experience of what they're facing. So um, I wouldn't say, you know, just picking a random session is, is going to solve your problems and give you ex- explain, explain everything about your users. But being kind of strategic in which sessions you watch is really important. Right. But have you got a system that picks out typical sessions? Uh, sorry, can you repeat that? Have you, have you built a system that picks out typical sessions, so the recordings of sessions, so that I can actually go in and say, well, show me what, you know, what, what would represent an average session for somebody to save myself all that time? Or is it just literally individual sessions? Or do you say, we found the one individual session that represents this particular problem? Yeah, so the dash- dashboard set of metrics are trying to help you find those interesting sessions that, uh, for uh, cases we believe we can automatically detect. Our goal is to keep improving that. For example, for e-commerce website, we created uh, insights about where checkout abandonment is happening. 
hmm. or what are the top viewed products you have. Um, and we also provide filters and these rich filters help you slice and dice into different um, areas of your website that you might be interested in. For example, again, for e-commerce, maybe you want to look at what users do when they run across a product that's unavailable, right? You're trying to buy something, it's unavailable. What does the user do next? Do they actually look at a similar product um, hmm. or they just abandon your site? Um, these are good insights for you to know what you should do to deal in uh, deal with uh, situations where users come to like dead ends in your experience. So the richness of the filters give you the flexibility to dive into your own kind of niche areas where you want to look at sessions. Right. I, I, found, I found I ended up kind of going down these rabbit holes and watching sessions for specific details. And I get the feeling I was kind of wasting a bit of time because I wasn't doing it in a structured manner. Yeah. Um, what would you tell me or what would you advise me to stop doing that? Uh, sure. I need to find what I'm, I'm sorry. I need to identify what I'm looking for before I start looking or do I just dig? So I had done tons of analysis across a lot of products uh, in Microsoft that use Clarity. So I have a lot of experience doing analysis and there's yeah. two types of analysis I've done. One is you're going on, you're going fishing. You don't know what you're looking for. You just <laughs> want to you want to find some issues um, and you just want to, you know, figure out what you could do better. Well, that right. one's a little harder one because you don't have a purpose that you're like trying to go towards. For that one, I suggest starting again with, uh, usually with heat maps. Heat maps will give you an aggregate view of what are the clicks look like, how far people are scrolling with the average fold and all of that. And that gives you a kind of the lay of the land. Then you can drill down into different features like, hey, why are they clicking on this particular area? Let me look at session recordings of uh, users where they're clicking on that particular button or area and jump into wow. that. Uh, and then of course, you know that, let's say you have a lot of traffic coming from Japan. Now I want to look at how Jap uh, Japanese users are actually dealing with my page. So you can jump into that. Uh, then the other type of analysis is that you know what you're trying to improve. Like you have a metric or a KPI, like I want to improve conversions. So here it makes life a lot easier. Um, again, I tend to start with heat maps again because you want to get the lay of the land of how much engagement is actually happening on the page. Right. Uh, for example, some uh, customers that we've done case studies, they found you know their key call to action wasn't being clicked on. Some other button was clicked on way more, right? And it turned out to be a learn more button. So well, they looked at sessions where learn more button was clicked, and they realized people weren't familiar with the product as much. So they were trying to learn more. So they need to do better product education before they try to sell the product to the customer. Ooh. So that led them to you know having a quick reel about more information about the product on the homepage. Then their add to cart or buy now conversions went up way. So um, having those KPIs of what you're going after and then starting with heat maps, then jumping into recordings really help you. And the filters, I, I can never say enough about filters. Uh, the filters are like, you know, godsend. You have to use them. And we even provide you custom filters. So if you want to annotate certain conditions on your site and pass those values to uh, to Clarity, it will capture those as key value pairs. So if you want to filter uh, by those uh, in by those values as well, and you could do that. So that lets you really customize and do your own unique analysis on your site. Right, and and think about heat maps. I mean, there's 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 first question there is if I can reduce the number of dead clicks and rage clicks, mm -hmm. then my heat map becomes much more valuable to me. Yep. So the yep. first step is to get rid of the, the or minimize the rage clicks and the dead clicks. Is that a fair comment? 
Yeah, that's usually a good starting point. And we actually even started uh, or we released a new feature for our heat maps where you can look at overall clicks or you can filter to just rage clicks on that page. Right. So then you can see where the rage clicks are happening. Then you can even prioritize which parts of the rage clicks you want to start improving. Or hey, if you're going to improve, might as well look at all of the different types of rage clicks at once, fix them in one iteration and go. Right. Yeah, I, I, the rage clicks thing, I, mean, I think the word rage is a little bit excessive. But <laughs> definitely the frustration click that we all experience as users. And I think as marketers, we often forget our own experiences and we allow our audience, our users to have the same bad experiences that we're having on other sites and complain about it incessantly. Okay. Um, but that's my personal kind of... Uh, do, do you have a heat map for um, where people are actually lo- uh, not maybe looking, but certainly focusing on the page and not just clicking? Um, so that's kind of like a what we call a, maybe a move map where maybe users are moving mo- their mouse and leaving it in certain spaces. Okay. We, we've experimented with that. We found that that was actually not very um, helpful to folks. Okay. Because where you might park your mouse um, is not always indicative of what you're looking at as well. Uh, for example, I, I make this joke that yeah. there's four types of readers on the, on, on the web. Uh, based on session uh, replays, what I noticed is that some readers, they actually follow the content on your page with their mouse. Wow. Right? Like, almost like you're reading as a child with your finger moving across. Yep. And then there's some folks that highlight the text as they're reading it. Um, and then there's some folks that park their mouse on the side and then just read the content then scroll and park. And then there's the fourth type, which is me, who just look at pictures. You don't read anything. You just look at the pictures. I'm more of a picture guy. I just you know tend to look at pictures first. Right. Yeah. Anton's showing us the, the, the heat map that he showed earlier on. And, and what you're saying is that can be really misleading because of the what different ways people actually engage with pages. What I tend to do is, I mean, I'm going to add you a a semi-fifth type, is I highlight a piece of text Mm -hmm. that I found interesting and leave it there as I keep reading the rest to remind myself to go back and reread it because I think it's important. Interesting. So that's that's type number five, but it's kind of type number three mixed up with... We'll call that the Jason type. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've been very pleased about that. How lovely. Um, And Anton actually put up on screen earlier on... AI, machine learning. Everybody uses machine learning. Give give me some insights of how it comes into that. Oh, sure. sorry, it's Hans Knapp. Excuse me, not Anton. Yeah, no problem. So uh, some of these insights, we're using various heuristics and machine learning models to detect some of these things. For example, knowing that you reached the completion uh, of a checkout is hard to detect across different uh, pages. So we we kind of use these models in the background to help provide these insights so that it, you can go on your merry way to go figure out what are the problems. Um, we we our, our whole kind of ethos around our product is about making it intuitive and easy to use. So we don't want to complicate it with, you know, various AI just because it, it needs to exist in the uh, product. We kind yeah. of seamlessly put it in the background to give you the data through some of these models and just let you um, focus on that data. Right, yeah, I mean, there is a tendency kind of with new toys, machine learning is thinking we've got to put it absolutely everywhere. I I try to build a machine learning model to replace my really awful PHP if else model for sorting pages into groups, mm-hmm. and it was rubbish. <laughs> And I, I think it was partly the data I fed it, but also kind of 
I don't know. It was kind of, I was so tempted to do it because I thought that was the thing I should be doing. And in fact, yeah. sometimes you have to just take a step back and say, well, if it's actually working very well as it stands, why make one's own life more complicated? Yep, yep, exactly. If the small hammer is working, why use a bigger hammer? <laughs> You're just going to hurt yourself holding it. <laughs> yeah, which is a, a very, very, very good point. Um, I mean, so, I mean, to kind of to, to wrap it up, the, the reason you started doing Clarity was to help Bing. Mm-hmm. So it's been used at massive scale within Bing honed on Bing and is now being offered to the, the to the rest of the world for free. Um, you started at Bing. What did you learn from that kind of experience of doing Bing at such massive scale? So many things. Um, well, any product like Bing that has millions of users and, and more coming to your site daily, you know, there are a lot of things you take for granted, right? Mm. Uh, and you can easily bias yourself to a certain set of users or certain set of users' needs. So that's why mm. I like I found Clarity really helpful. Is like it tries to remove that bias from you by giving everyone an equal opportunity to be analyzed, to be understood, and you can go improve these different uh, experiences that users have. Whether it only happens to ten percent of users or fifty percent of users, it gives everyone a fair opportunity uh, to be kind of represented in this data. And like my favorite one that we uh, that we kind of re- realized in Bing was another rage click problem. We found that um, in the search box, which is the most important part of a search yep. engine, right? Uh, if you click literally at the right before your query text, um, it wasn't actually allowing you to select the text to rewrite the query. Um, it's a little bit of a gap in the margins for input box. And right. that was creating rage clicks because users are like clicking, clicking, trying to enter it. But it's not the most wow. common type of behavior or it isn't happening to all the users. Whereas a few selective folks that are like clicking on that left edge because a lot more people click on the middle or the right edge. It's more of a common place. But, you know, with Clarity, they were represented. We were able to look at those sessions and just move that margin over very uh, quickly and then saw uh, improvements for uh, like a lot of SAT metrics for those users. That's a brilliant story to end on with kind of this tiny detail that you would never think of that kind of this behavioral analytics um, approach is going to bring out. Thank you so much, Ravi. That was absolutely delightful. Um, Thank you, everyone, for watching. Um, I'm going to introduce next week, which is going to be Jason Davis uh, from the Nerd Brand Agency. If we can have that, there you go. How can small businesses use branded search? Obviously, that's a topic I absolutely love. Jason is such a delightful chat, really smart, really engaging, and I do highly recommend coming along. Ravi, could you pass the baton? Sure. It sounds like it's going to be a great session with Jason Squared. You know, you can't get better than that. Maybe Jason Cube, but Jason Squared is uh, where it's at. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Ravi. And I realize now I forgot the song at the beginning. You could just get it at the end. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Ravi. Thanks, Jason. Thanks a lot. CaliCube. It's all about your brand, SERP.